Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, and online store. For a free trial and 10% off, visit squarespace.com and enter the offer code INTELLIGENCE at the checkout. A better web starts with your website. Thank you for downloading this Intelligence Squared podcast. For more information on our debates, talks, and discussions, Visit intelligencesquared.com and sign up to the newsletter. University is an unwise investment. This debate took place on the 3rd of October 2013 at the Union Society of the University of Cambridge. I'm Jonathan Friedland and this is a special event in our series of Google Plus versus debates organised by Intelligence Squared. And tonight the motion up for debate is University is an unwise investment. And for many young people, like those crammed into this uh, heaving room here at the Cambridge Union, uh, university is considered and hoped to be not just a rite of passage, but perhaps a passport to a well-paid job. College education also offers the chance to be with like-minded people, to enrich the soul and bond with kindred spirits over a drink or six. But in these times of financial uncertainty, is a traditional university education really worth it? Steve Jobs and Bill Gates would no doubt have said no, both famous, if not notorious, college dropouts. And university here, fees here in Britain have, of course, tripled in the last year. And in the US, costs have increased by a staggering 1,000% over the last 30 years. So to debate these issues of whether it is a wise investment or not, we have four esteemed speakers here and two more online joining us from Washington DC and San Francisco via the Google Plus Hangout. Let me introduce uh, first of all though those who are here and of course remind you that you will have your chance to put questions to the speakers whether you're here in the Cambridge Union or watching online uh, and for that reason let me introduce you to Ashwin Bardwaj who together with John Sabir will be sifting through your online questions and bringing them to the panel on your behalf and of course a reminder you can post your comments on the Google Plus Versus page or comment using the hashtag VS for versus uni, VS uni, UNI. And as with all Intelligence Squared debates, we've already asked you to vote either on your way into the hall tonight 
or uh, online, and you've done that, and I can give you the indicative results, if you like, the, uh, before you'd have the chance to hear the sterling and uh, stellar arguments that will no doubt persuade all of you that you were wrong before you came in here. This is what you thought uh, beforehand. So before uh, you'd heard the debate, to the motion that university education is an unwise investment, for that motion was just 9% of you. Uh, 72% were against. In other words, 72% of you argued that it is a wise investment. And in the don't know category, uh, 19%. So uh, panellists, those are the numbers to play with. Uh, If you are uh, sympathetic to this motion and you're for it, and you believe university investment is unwise, you have your work cut out for you. You have to convert that 9% into a more healthy looking figure before the evening is out. Um, So that's uh, how things stand uh, uh, as we go into this. Let me introduce uh, fully our panel to you. Um, On my uh, right here is the author, academic and education expert, Joanna Williams. Next to her, uh, the world-renowned professor of Greek literature and culture here at Cambridge University, Cambridge's own Simon Goldhill. On my left here, the social commentator, author, and for 20 years a secondary school teacher himself, still is, Francis Gilbert. Welcome to you. And finally, making up the panel here in the hall in Cambridge, Christina Patterson, who is a writer and columnist and has written a lot on uh, education and other fields as well. And joining us uh, live from San Francisco, the entrepreneur, investor and philanthropist Jim O'Neill, who has a very uh, unique take on this subject, which we'll hear. And from Washington, D.C., the director of education policy at the Brookings Institute, Russ Whitehurst. So welcome to all of you, and please a nice warm welcome for all our panellists. There we are. Very good. I briefly briefly feared I was going to suffer the Ian Duncan Smith fate of the zero applause (laughs) performance, Uh, but we got got there in the end. So here's how we're going to do it. We're going to hear an opening shot in homage, if you like, to the debates, the formal debates that are normally held here at the Cambridge Union. Uh, Tonight's conversation is going to be looser and less formal than that, but in homage to that tradition, let's have an opening shot, if you like, for and against the motion, some opening reactions. I'm going to give a minute to each of you to just to set out your reaction to that statement that a university education is an unwise investment. Why don't we start with you, Simon Gold? Thanks. I'm going to make three points in my one minute. The first is this. If a doctor's well-trained, who benefits? The doctor or the patient? If a teacher's well-trained, who benefits? The pupils or the teacher? It seems to me that if we start from the perspective that the only way you should judge what a university is worth is by what a student earns afterwards, you've misunderstood the nature of education, you've misunderstood how individuals relate to society. I think, frankly, it's a crass way to think about education. But, as my second point, let's imagine you were crass. Let's imagine you did think that. How extraordinary would it be to imagine that your education would actually, really, be valued by what you earned? What price on literacy? What price on understanding? Even credit cards know that some things can't be paid for. I'm going to be the voice of numeracy and say you've used up your 60 seconds. I know you had a third point. We'll, I'm sure going to hear right. it later. Um, Jim O'Neill in San Francisco, let's go to you for your immediate one-minute sort of gut reaction to the statement that a university education is an unwise investment. Jim O'Neill. Yes, I'd like to ask every 15-year-old 
to think about what the world will be like in 40 years when you're 55. Then ask yourself, how can I make the best parts of this world happen? And what kind of sustainable career can I pursue to support myself and my family? For teens who love technology, a good way to ask this question is to ask, does the world need another pre-law major? Or does the world need another person who's pushing back the boundaries of how can technology can make the world better? Thank you very much. Even less than a minute in, with the typical <laughs> brevity and concision of the, uh, of the internet world that you speak for so brilliantly. Um, that's fantastic. So let's go next to Joanna Williams, University Education, Wise or Unwise? To misquote Oscar Wilde, I think nowadays people know everything about the price of a university education, a university degree. They know nothing about the value of higher education. I think education is not an investment, wise or unwise, it's just not an investment. And I think when people go into (coughs) higher education um, expecting a return on an investment, be that a financial return or any kind of a return, then they approach education in a very instrumental, way. Education has no guaranteed returns, no guaranteed returns whatsoever, and that's not a financial return. Even if you put in effort or um, emotion or time, there is still no guaranteed returns at the end of it. And so for that reason, I think education is a very unwise investment. It's way more important than that. The value of education lies in knowledge, lies in the knowledge that we have about the world that we live in and the potential for us to develop and build up more knowledge for the future, to critique existing knowledge and understand more about the world we live in. And the value of that has no price whatsoever. Thank you. Um, Francis Gilbert, why don't we hear your reaction? University education is an unwise investment, right or wrong? I think overall universities are ripping off students. I think they're taking your money and they're wasting it on research, which often is hidden behind paywalls that no one can get access to, and that they're not paying enough attention to teaching you properly. Um, I've looked at a lot of research in my own area, which is the arts, um, that indicates that students are not actually learning a huge amount at university. Um, They're sitting silently in seminars. If you look at the research of Gary Snapper and John Hodgson, which are all on the internet free, um, they show that students don't want, aren't interacting with their tutors properly. They're not feeling they can go to them and really develop their knowledge. They're listening to 19th century lectures that could be easily put on the internet um, and they're not having the sort of community of learning that they need to um, have um, in order to learn properly. Thank you. Let's, we're going to go next all the way over to Washington, D.C., to the Brookings Institute there, where it, waiting for us is Russ Whitehurst. You've heard the argument so far. What's your own take, Russ Whitehurst, on the wisdom or lack of wisdom of a university education? I'll try to uh, stake out the crass instrumental position. Uh, the evidence is very clear that on an investment uh, basis, uh, it's uh, it's a good investment. Uh, in the U.S., on average, uh, students who earn a university degree uh, uh, earn about $600,000 more over their lifetime. Uh, they pay substantially more in taxes, so it's a good investment for the nation. Uh, they participate in civic events at higher levels. Their health is better. So on average, uh, uh, a university investment is a, is a very good investment. That's not true for all students in all places and all circumstances, something I hope to come back to later as a point that needs to be developed. 
Thank you very much. And nothing crass about that. Very helpful it was too. Christina Patterson, you're going to be uh, giving us our, your uh, concluding minute on this subject of wise or unwise, the last of these opening bursts. Well, I think it would have been quite interesting to be alive in Renaissance Florence, and it would have been quite interesting to be alive during the Industrial Revolution. But neither will be a fraction, will have been a fraction as interesting as it is to be alive today. The internet has changed everything. It has changed the world, it has changed our behaviour, and it is revolutionising and annihilating quite a lot of the workplace. Now, the statistics in this country for earnings in terms of economic investment are a bit different to the US. I think they vary between about 120 and 150,000 that a graduate will generally accumulate over the source of their working life. But all of that is changing because everything is changing. All kinds of industries are being wiped out. Journalism changing massively, publishing changing massively, retail changing massively. The middlemen are being cut out. (coughs) And if you want to be a part of an interesting future, if you want to work, if you want to be able to support a family, you need to be ahead of the game. And you need to be with old brains who have got life experience and who've got a lot of knowledge and know a lot of stuff. And you, who I hope will be more tech-savvy and more thinking about how this new world is going to operate, you need to be in a creative dialogue with these people, forging the future. We don't know. We're old ones around this table. We don't know what the future's going to be. We need you to help us forge that future, to find meaningful work for all the people who, at the moment, don't know what that's going to be. Now, you can do that on your own in your bedroom if you're exceptional. Steve Jobs can do that on his own in his bedroom. Most of us aren't exceptional. We need a creative dialogue and creative thinking to forge a new future. Thank you very much, Christina Patterson. I want to um, pursue this just a bit. Let's go back to you, Simon Goldthorpe. Just pick up the point you've just heard there from Christina Patterson, that in a way, the university is, and I'm, I'm, I'm taking this on from what she was saying, but is a slightly out of date, an outdated form, because now there is the internet. You don't need to come to Cambridge and be in these wonderful old buildings to hear somebody as brilliant as you speak. You can go online, you can be in... Jeddah or in uh, Los Angeles and hear your lecture. What is the point still of spending the money to come to this place of bricks and mortar for three years? You can do it all through the internet. If you think that education is solely the transfer of a piece of knowledge, then you're absolutely right. If all it is is passing on this little bit of thing to somebody else, you can do it on a MOOC if you want to. Tell us what a MOOC stands for. (laughs) God, it sounds for a massively awful um, <laughs> it's online, online education. Massively open massively online, open online courses. Well, but if you just think of education as purely that transfer of knowledge and purely, as it were, a lecturer saying, here is a fact, then you're absolutely right. But education isn't that. Education is the exchange of ideas, it's creativity, it's learning together about but how Simon, the world works. What, what, the evidence, sorry, what mm. the evidence is showing, and there's a lot of research, mm. is that children... Uh, sorry, children, students. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm a secondary school teacher. I've been mm. teaching 11 to 18-year-olds today, sorry. Mm. Um, <laughs> students are 
actually having a 19th century experience on the whole But in universities. Let me finish here, because, mm. and that they are just listening very passively to lectures. They're often sitting in seminars in silence. They're not being part of the community of learning in the active, mm. creative way that you're, you're saying. Well, my experience is completely but, different but, but. in Cambridge because of the supervision system. What we need is more investment where people do educate each other properly. But and the supervision system is the kind of one-to-one tutoring. One to one Thank you. Um, I think we mustn't underestimate the important role that universities play in um, conserving knowledge that's mm. gone up. And I think if we do a huge disservice to knowledge and to universities and to academics mm. from previous generations, if we kind of trivialise the intellectual capital that society has accumulated over the past mm. however many but centuries... But you've hidden it all behind um, paywalls, haven't you? Just, be, just before you, you know. offer that, what, what, but why, why would it um, trivialise them to, if they were no longer conserved in these bricks and mortar universities well, if it was all available online. beautiful building. We don't say, well, this is a bit old now, so we're going to knock it down. And I think the same with knowledge. We don't say, well, the traditional lecture format, that's a bit old now, so let's just do away with it. The knowledge that that society has gained over well, why the last 2,000 years. I'm going, to, I'm going to let all of you come in, but I do want to bring in Jim O'Neill in San Francisco, who doesn't have the advantage of being able to grab uh, mm. my leg and force me to uh, come to him. Um, or disadvantage, depending on how you feel about my leg, I suppose. But Jim mm. O'Neill, um, you've taken this idea idea that actually these days the bricks and mortar university is no longer necessary to quite an to, to quite an extreme why don't you explain to people listening here what it is your foundation now offers young people yes yeah, so uh we we became very concerned that smart people were not getting into technology as a career the way they used to 40 years ago and we wanted to bring more of them into it so it created a fellowship to give money people to start their careers in technology without having a lot of debt hanging over them and discouraging them from being innovative. If you're 25 and you're paying debt payments every month because of student debt, it's very hard to quit your job and start a company. It's very hard to quit your job and create an invention. So we created a fellowship to bring talented 18 and 19-year-olds into the tech industry to pursue careers as innovators and as entrepreneurs. It started two years ago and it's going extremely well, and we've gotten a lot of people paying attention to the fact that the best way to learn how to run a company is to actually run a company. The best way to learn how to create things is to create things, and that sitting in a classroom, postponing your career for four years, and spending a lot of money, both your money and your parents' money and taxpayers' money, is not necessarily a wise investment. It's often a fun consumption decision, uh, but it's not the best way to move the economy forward and move technology forward. And pe because you're targeting particularly 18 and 19-year-olds, people over there in the States have called it the a dropout fund. You're actually encouraging people to, uh, to drop out, a la Steve Jobs and Mark Zuckerberg and the others. Uh, fair enough. I, I would say, to me, dropout sounds like you've failed at something. We're talking about encouraging people to make an intelligent choice about how to invest their time and their money. And so uh, I'd prefer to say that they're skipping college and pursuing their career directly with their full energy and attention. So you heard that there, Simon Goldhill. Mm. It may be uh, a fun, a good consumption decision. People like three or four years hanging around, going to bars and being with their friends. But actually, it's a poor investment. And people would have be much more sensible to drop out, take the money and get their career started. Well, this is what I call the hedgehog argument. There's always a hedgehog on one side of the A1 shouting, come across, guys, it's safe for me, I did it. Mm. For every, every Branson, 
For every Branson, there are hundreds of thousands of people whose lives are blighted by a lack of education. We shouldn't forget that in India and in China and in Brazil, the BRICS, people are desperate to follow our model of a university education. They're building universities in this model because they see it as the source of previous Western creativity and success. And the idea that we should be giving it up seems to me to be extraordinarily ironic at best. Quick one for you, Jan. I think what lies behind this question, is a university a good investment, is actually a much bigger question. What is a university actually for nowadays? Mm. And I think all too often universities are seen as almost factories for providing people with employability skills so they can go out and seek a return on their financial investment or their investment of time. If we took a different view of what a university is for, then Mm. we, we would see it as being about a different set of values in relation to knowledge. If it is just about gaining employability skills, then I completely agree there is no point in people going to university. They would be much better off gaining those employability skills in employment. If university is about knowledge and actually immersing yourself for three years in a subject with real specialists who've got absolute interest in that subject as well, forming a community of scholars, then it's a fantastic investment of your time and your energy. All right, let's go, Russ, let's just bring in Russ Whitehurst in Washington because you offered yourself as the spokesperson for the crass sort of investment advice the position, the transactional position. You've just heard there uh, uh, Joanna saying that actually if it is measured just as an investment uh, in terms of increasing your own earning power, it ain't worth it. And the, f- and the figures do look pretty daunting that this 1,000% increase in the cost of university education in your country over 30 years, I mean, given that, surely it, it, it's pretty hard for it to say it's still a good investment, isn't it? It costs so much more. Uh, no, it's very easy to say it's still a good investment on average. So while it's true that uh, uh, tuition rates have gone up a lot in the U.S. and we have an unusual system in the degree to which we expect students themselves to pay for it, it's also true that the returns to higher education have also gone up uh, dramatically. So as I previously indicated, it's about $600,000 more over a lifetime. For a recent graduate, it's the difference between about $70,000 U.S. dollars a year versus $40,000 U.S. For, for a high school graduate. So it still makes economic sense. Now, there's certainly students, uh, such as the ones that are, uh, Mr. O'Neill are talking about, that are well served by other alternatives, including students who are poorly prepared for university, who are likely to drop out, who select uh, programs of preparation that will not result in full employment. But on average, it's still a very rational decision, and it is not just about the skills that may or may not be acquired. It's about the signaling value of the degree itself. And so employers look at whether students have been able to complete the degree, and that's viewed as a sign that the student is likely to be able to do other things, and that uh, makes them more employable, even if the skills they've acquired themselves are not relevant to the job they'll be in. I saw a little look of, not just yet, because I want to make sure to bring in, but I did see a little look of panic uh, across many people in the audience here. As you said, there are some people who, I'm afraid, will not increase their earning power by being here (laughs) and have perhaps come unprepared. A little look of panic and angst in the room. Christina Patson, let's go to this, for many people it's the heart of the matter, which is there are just so many more graduates now that maybe there was a time 
when only 3 or 4% of the population went, mm. if you came out, then it was a license to earn a lot of money. Now it's not so rare, and lots of jobs are actually, uh, with lots of graduates going into jobs that we would never well, have considered no, graduate jobs well, before. Well, indications are, I think, that still about 76% of graduates go into graduate employment rather than Starbucks or whatever. So you're still, you're still going to have a much, much, much better chance of getting graduate, a graduate job and of earning that 100 grand over the long term. I mean, even paying off what we might call your graduate tax or your loans, whatever you want to call it. But I think there's a bigger issue here about investment, which is about taking control of your future. And I think, I think you know, it, there is no doubt, well, I, there's very little doubt that most of you will be having a very sound investment. That, as, as Francis says, will not necessarily be the case to the same extent at every university around the country. And I think there is a question of, if you are taking control of your future, this is not just about being a consumer and saying, I'm paying, I need better standards. It's about putting pressure to say, I need my brain to ache when I'm doing this stuff. We all need our brains to ache in this new world. We need to do some big picture thinking. And I, when I heard at the beginning Jonathan say traditional university education, I thought, no, I don't think a traditional university education is a sound investment. I think the new style of university education, whatever that will be appropriate to be in the next 5, 10, 15 years will be, because we've all got to get our brains together to work out how all of this is going to work out. And for that, we need, you know, we need the best teachers, the best discussions, Supervision, fantastic. That doesn't happen at every university around the country. It ought to. <coughs> and if I were paying nine grand a year, I would certainly mm-hmm. demand supervision. Mm-hmm. Francis Gilbert, I mean, you, yeah. you know, is it the case, here we are sitting in Cambridge, the chance are, I'm not just saying this to flatter and reassure those uh, mm-hmm. in the audience here whose, clams were going, whose hands were going clammy just before, but um, <laughs> I'm just here, if you're a Cambridge graduate, an Oxford graduate, LSE, then maybe your life chances are pr- looking pretty good. Mm-hmm. But now, what about that p- phenomenon that we're now in an era of more or less of 50% mm-hmm. university education? Has that devalued the, the degree? I don't know if it's devalued. I mean, there's certain evidence there's really good practice in a place like University of Gloucestershire, which, you know, supposedly is not supposed to be a great university, but there's some amazing teaching going on. My worry is that the quality of teaching and learning in universities is very poor compared with that in secondary schools where, you know, I've taught for the last 20 years that students are not interacting, they're not um, having the sorts of dialogues, they're not being creative, and they're not thinking in creative ways. They're often um, feeling, the the research evidence shows, quite frightened to say anything, and um, finding themselves rebuffed by academics if they go and say, I've got a problem with this, because the academics are not really paid to teach, and they're not trained to teach. They get all of their money from their research ratings. And, they, that, and so teaching often with many universities for an academic is like toilet cleaning almost. It's not something they take that seriously. And I think that they're w- wanting to get all of their um, money and kudos through publishing research, which is what they um, often are doing. And so I think that you mm. often find a situation where many, many students feel very disaffected um, uh, with their experience, and they don't actually... Um, they go through the motions of getting a degree because they need it to, you know, it's a sort of passport to employment. So I just because I want to hear both of you. Well, why don't you, you've got the, you're the person with the uh, bottle of Harpic there. Are you a glorified <laughs> toilet cleaner? Is that how you approach university teaching, that it's a chore? No, I think that 
is to massively overstate the case. Um, certainly a lot of the lecturers that I work with every single day um, would be very upset at what Francis has just said and they go the extra mile for their students and are very committed to their teaching responsibilities, so much so that research can often get pushed out to the early hours of the morning, evenings and weekends. The, the point I did they, want... They'll find their career suffers though. Because well, a lot of people do actually make that sacrifice. Um, what I did want to do though was just to take up these financial arguments in their own terms um, because the point's been made um, well made that a university degree, the value of a university degree, the financial value varies according to institution. It's not just institution though, it's the course that you take mm. as well. Now if people do all act in what might be considered to be an economically rational way, every student in the country would opt to take economics at a top 10 university. Now the problem is the graduate premium on an economics degree at a top 10 university would then plummet because there would be so <laughs> so many more graduates of economics at top 10 universities because what's being rewarded in that degree is no inherent quality, no attribute of graduateness. On, just on that very specifically, Francis, your area is the arts. You know, in your general critique of universities, are you particularly scathing about arts education? Because yeah, there, there isn't surely the economic return. If you look at the evidence, of the research evidence of Hodgson, which is on, free on the internet, he did it for the higher education. Um, he went through many universities and uh, the experience of uh, people on English degrees in particular is very dispiriting. You know, they don't get the sorts of um, creative and interactive experience. You know, they should be having students lecturing to um, the lecturers um, and actually getting, you know, a lot of students listening to YouTube videos and, and getting a kind of community of learning together, an interactive community of learning. And they, they don't actually have the sort of quality of teaching that you see in secondary schools. Let, let, what we come, you, let well, me uh, give you a chance to defend yes. yourself on the toilet cleaning uh, charge, and then uh, I'm going to open up to our okay, audience. Well, I, I, I think it's just parodic, actually, what's been said. And uh, the difficulty is this, and I think it's a broader point. From my point of view as a university teacher, I'm constantly whinging if I whinge about anything. I whinge about school teachers. I whinge about the fact that people who come up from school have been spoon-fed, that exams, GCSEs, they're good, I don't think so, A-levels, they just spoon-feed you through work in a very controlled and uncreative way. And most of my work is undoing what school teachers are forced. And my point would be rather a broader one. I think there's a real danger with the students that I've met over the 30 years that I've been teaching at Cambridge, is that there's been a real shift and the real shift comes not because students are less intelligent or less educated at all, but because the system of education is constantly at school level forcing them down narrower and narrower responses. And they're coming up being told again and again by newspapers and others that you should judge your education by your income afterwards. I think both of those things are wrong. And I think it has an effect on all students. And I think one of the reasons why students are finding it hard to learn at university, which I agree they're finding it harder to learn, is because of the crushing way in which our system, for various reasons, has mm -hmm. tried to remove creativity and a certain degree of freedom from it. But and universities, right, universities need to take some... Very, very quickly, mm. universities need to take some responsibility for that too. And where I do have sympathy with Francis is mm, universities will push an employability agenda and universities, mm. instead of saying, great, you're here to learn, let's tell you all about the subject, will say, we're here to teach you employability skills. So students arrive with an mm. instrumentalism, okay, sure. which is not challenged, but met by the university. 
Listeners to the Intelligence Squared podcast are eligible for a special offer with Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and simple to build your own website and online shop. The easy-to-use drag-and-drop tools, responsive designs, and 24-7 customer support teams means you can create a beautiful design website for as little as £5 a month. If you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code INTELLIGENCE to get 10% off your first purchase. Right. We are now going to open things up, open the debate up with voices from our audience, both here uh, and around the world online, joining our debate. Uh, we have some ushers around who will uh, bring microphones to you, um, or uh, anyway, you'll be able to take your question. I think you may need to stand up when you ask it. But before we'll do that, we're going to hear some of the questions that have come in online. And remember, you can post your questions if if you're watching online, onto the uh, Versus Google Plus page. And we go now to Ash, our web host, and he's going to tell us what he's got so far. Uh, Jonathan, thank you. It's uh, been a very emotive debate, as you would expect online, and uh, plenty of questions coming in through Google Plus. Most people still think that university is a good investment, but there are some questions regarding where exactly that investment should come from. Some say the government should subsidise university education because it adds value to the economy. But Becky from Plymouth says... I left school at 16 and became a runner in television. Eight years later, I'm a producer, whilst my peers who went to university are struggling with debt and trying to find a job. Isn't it time to destigmatize vocational training, give it the same kind of value that we give to university education, and government should switch some of the subsidies that are currently going towards university education and transfer it over to vocational training? So uh, would you like to put that to the panel, please? Very interesting. Is there anyone who would particularly like to have a go? Why don't we go to you, Jim O'Neill? Uh, you heard that there, and about this stigma, or rather the, the special kudos that attaches to a, an academic education, and the question in there suggesting there's a stigma to practical vocational education. Where are you on that? That's correct, and I think we should all work hard to get rid of that stigma. It's a relic of, frankly, the 19th century, where we had social classes, and they were indicated by college degrees, and that has no place either economically or socially in the world of the future and we should get rid of it. People should be respected for working hard and honest jobs and for pursuing learning that's relevant to those jobs and relevant to everything they want. Uh, and there are more ways to learn than ever before. Everyone involved in this debate supports learning, and I support learning in economically efficient and time-efficient ways, and more and more that means through reading and learning online, and that's a much more economically sustainable way to learn and one that I respect highly and everyone in this debate should respect highly. And, and, and presumably, Simon Goldhue, you would feel, yes, you could economically, mm. efficiently teach a whole of a four-year Greek course in a year, but what, what the student... Or could you? Yeah. But, but what <laughs> the people would be missing out on is well, the meeting with people of learning. Go the on, you explain. I, a very simple point, I would say, is that one size doesn't fit all. I mean, I totally agree with that. Why should you have one university system to cover every sort of education? There are different forms, and we need to think about what the new world is going to provide in terms of new education. But that doesn't mean that a place like Cambridge, which supports the form of education it does, should be denigrated either. And what's mm -hmm. extraordinary is the way in which a place like Cambridge or Oxford or LSE, which are leading institutions in the world, are constantly being attacked because they're leading institutions in the world. Yeah. It seems quite extraordinary to me. But I think, I think that... Christina Patterson, and then I want to hear from people in the hall. Yeah. I think that, Hands the, up. for me, the issue that keeps coming up is about passivity. And I think mm. vocational training is hugely mm. underrated mm. Yeah. and excessively mm. stigmatised in our culture. Mm. And I think... 
for many people, the academic course is not necessarily the best mm. one, and particularly, mm. as Francis says, yeah. in the light of the kind of degree they're going to emerge with. The point is for you mm. to take control over your future, and for many people, that will be vocational training, and it will give you a more secure future than many of the people who do emerge from universities mm. and the new changed world. Okay, let, let me take um, some of the young people who have been sitting extremely patiently, you, and you've been here for a long time, so why don't we go with you first? I, I don't, hold on one second. Why don't you, if you stand up, and is there a microphone? There is. Mm. So if you stand up, wait for the microphone to get you so that people online can hear your question. And I'm going to take two or three in a row. So I will come to you next. And uh, perhaps the gentleman there. I'm always keen to make sure there's a gender balance, so there's a woman there too. Good. Oh, for you guys. Hi, um, Oliver Axton, Jesus College, Cambridge. Um, okay, first of all, you said that there was no inherent value to an economic degree. But who, who do you think analysed the economic return to university education? <laughs> <laughs> okay, but on a more serious note, um, I think we've covered like the economic return for an individual quite well. I think we've pretty much concluded that it is very worthwhile for most individuals to go to university. But I don't think we've really covered, uh, is the government doing enough to fund universities? Um, since the new fees were introduced, I think there's been an 80% cut to like, funding for departments at universities. Okay. And I think we need to look a bit more into that in this debate in terms of our governments doing enough to fund universities and would that funding, would that increased funding allow an improved university experience and allow students at other universities to get more one-on-one teaching? Okay, thank you. Let's um, get the microphone to a uh, gentleman here. Um, oh, actually, no, more, the microphone's reaching you. So if you can stand up and uh, ask your question. Thank you very much. And then put your... Yeah. Yeah, hello. It's a really interesting debate today here. Thank you for that. My question is, by paying to university, are we buying an identity or education? Because when we go into the field, like someone at 16-year-old can go to a marketing company as an intern, and until the age of 24, when we graduate, they can earn money, they can have experience and a job where we pay around £9,000 now to come to uni and buy a, I, I, my question is, are we buying an identity or experience? Very interesting. Thank you. Um, just on that point, because the figure of £9,000, I just want to do a quick show. You can sit down and pass the microphone to the uh, guy in front. Thank you. But just before we hear from him, this figure of £9,000, and there is some research on this, but how many of you feel, and I know you may only be just at the beginning of this, but how many of you feel that figure, £9,000 per year, so far, from what you can tell so far, is worth it. Hands up if you feel the £9,000 so far, from what you know, is worth it. Who paid it? <laughs> and, and how many of you feel that... Nine, so I would say a third of the room, or maybe a quarter, um, how many of you feel the £9,000 is not worth it? <laughs> and not, how many of you want to get to the end of your course before you offer an opinion? <laughs> <laughs> Quite a few, I think. Um, OK, well, that's, uh, that was interesting. Quite sort of tentative support. Mm. Uh, apparently there is academic research, and I'll, I'll find the figures for later on, that suggests that most people, when asked, say that actually it's not worth it, and yet when asked again, would you, if you had your time again to enrol in university, say yes, they definitely would. <laughs> so go figure. Um, and there probably is an explanation for that. But wh- why don't we go for your question, and then we'll bring it back to the panel. Yeah, and if you can stand up. Thank you. Um, we propose sort of two metrics for it, whether university is worth it in this debate. The first is economic, is money out versus the money in worth it. The second is knowledge. I think both of those are rather stupid. Um, 
I think that it's neither about the money that you get, nor is it about necessarily the knowledge that you gain, but it's about the ways of thinking that university mm -hmm. inculcates in you, as well as also about the opportunities mm -hmm. that you get, not just through the knowledge and through your course, but also in terms of university societies, mm -hmm. things like the, uni the, the union, things like student journalism, things like university sport, things like the massive amount of connections you can make with and friends you can make whilst you're at university are incredibly important. And the other thing is that we as a generation are told by the generation above us that we're entitled and we're not, you know, we're not entitled to the education that we're getting. None of them paid a single penny for their <laughs> university education. Uh, none of them paid anything at all. And to be told that we're entitled and that we have to make up for the shortfall of the generation before us is simply hypocritical. And we're right here, by the way. Can, can, I, just, uh, can, that I, generation. can I just say, can I just, whoops. Take a look, we're can all I, here. Um, Christina, why don't you just um, respond to that straight away? Yeah, and I'd just like to say that you haven't listened to a word I've said because I've talked about <laughs> nothing but thinking. It's not about knowledge, it's about thinking. It's about creative thinking. It's about getting brains together. That's all I've talked about. So you obviously were asleep, so you're wasting <laughs> your university education. Could I just come back on the um, chap who was saying about the, the worth in terms of value of an economics degree? I think the point I was making was what, what determines the wage that you get when you leave university, and is there anything inherent in your degree that determines the wage? And I think you actually provided a really nice answer to that question when you talked about the friends, the opportunities, the contacts that you make, and I think it's that that's being rewarded in the wage that you get when you leave university far more than any inherent knowledge that you might have. In t uh, just to answer the um, woman there who was saying, what are we actually buying? Is it an identity, an education, or an experience? It's none of those things, because nobody can give you any of those things. However much money you pay, you know, I can't give you an experience. You have to do that yourself, and that's what's unique about education. It's although, not although the third question is point was that there is a university experience. That's yeah. what it's hard to put but a price on. you get out Three of years of university before, before, I know you're desperate to get in time, and I want to get you in. But I want to go to Russ Whitehurst in Washington just on, on this point, that uh, if, given your argument earlier was that it's a huge economic return for individuals and all the stats show that... On average. Um, a big economic return. Our very first question here was wanted to get onto the subject question of how much governments should pay, and he was suggesting governments in this country anyway should pay more. I mean, if it's so good, such good value for the individuals who go, why should government be paying any money at all to this? On your own logic, surely it's a good return and people should pay the entire cost, and it doesn't need any government investment. Russ Whitehurst. I think, an argue, I think an argument can be made in that direction, but uh, the problem is that many students and families cannot afford to pay. And so if you're asking for them to pay up front, uh, they will be frozen out of the system. Uh, at least in the U.S., we at least uh, have a narrative about the need for equity. And so we direct uh, loans and grants to low-income families so that they can attend university or post-secondary education because we know that they probably would not if government did not do so. And there's a public return to education as well as the private return, and that's the argument for the public investment. Thank you. And Simon Gould, the public return was obviously part of your initial opening argument. Well, well quickly, I think, if, I think government should pay a lot more. And all you have to do is to think what it would be like to live in a country without universities, yeah. to see the civilising force. But I'd like to say a word about that very interesting question about identity, and I slightly disagree. Because I think it's perfectly reasonable to say that a university is a machine for producing a middle class. <laughs> it does that. But I don't think that's the point of a university. It may be the effect of a university, but I don't think it's the point of a university. That's somewhere else. So I think, yeah, you meet people, you can usually tell 
whether they've been to university and how long they've been to university. Usually, not always. But reason why? Not because they're snobby, not because they're boring, not because they have all this knowledge, but because of a way of thinking. And I think that's absolutely right. If you um, think the government should pay more, Cambridge students went a funny way about it, didn't they, when the university minister, David Willits, came here Thanks and was unable to speak because of a sit-in protest yes. by students. <laughs> yes. It was a seminar you'd organised. Yes. I mean, if you wanted to make a good case for university <laughs> and for why mm. government should be putting more money in the pot, that wasn't a great demonstration. It wasn't was. a great demonstration in my view of the freedom of speech that I value most strongly. But you know, there were very strong arguments and that very strong feelings. Um, but you felt the I, students were wrong on that occasion. On that occasion I did, and, I, and I've said so. I think the important thing is to think it's a little bit more history. When people introduced compulsory education and general education, paid education for 16-year-olds, it was thought to be an absolutely outrageous and crazy suggestion. And guess who thought it was outrageous and crazy? Certain sorts of, oh, how can I put this, right-wing sides of government. Yeah. And when I'm being told, so if I said to you now, why don't we have free <clears> education for everybody in the university? Well, you know who's going to tell you it's a bad idea. Thank you. Um, it is now, in the words of, uh, uh, of Karen Carpenter, I know we've only just begun, but it is time uh, for, uh, uh, to open the voting and ballot boxes will be going around for you to cast your vote. Go over to Ash, you've got more coming in. Jonathan, thank you. Um, Zavian Hurd has come in via Google Plus and he's, uh, he's commenting from the States. And uh, he, he wants to put forward a word of caution. He says, why are we saying that vocational training is a safer bet? My friend spent two years at automotive school, and now he has to flip burgers for a living. Um, Alex Quirk echoes some of the uh, sentiments we heard earlier on. University is a lifelong investment, not just the way we learn to think, but the friends, experiences, and this is important, social dynamism that we receive from spending time at university. Um, But overall, one of the questions from um, Graham in Newcastle says... um, the metrics have changed. Why are, we, why are we thinking about the value of its security for a job when we simply live in a less safe world when it comes to careers? Mm. Thank you. Um, let's, uh, that last point, uh, Christina Patterson, that actually, in a way, why, we don't particularly have to talk, uh, hold universities up to the standard of providing sure careers because that's just completely gone because the world... We the world, I mean, the world just has changed, but my own view is that, is that you know, we're better off pooling our intellectual resources to address this enormous challenge. And universities are the place to do and that And universities, pooling? if they are run properly and they teach properly and they have proper dialogue with all kinds mm. of different groups and one-to-one supervision and all the rest of it, mm. yes, absolutely. G- Jim O'Neill, I want to bring you in, uh, partly because I think you've got a reaction to that, but also I want you to hear your reaction to the person whose friend went to automotive school and he's now flipping burgers. And I just wonder what you think of the point that Simon Goldhill said earlier, the hedgehog argument. You know, yes, there are one or two Steve Jobs or uh, Mark Zuckerbergs who did drop out and did fine, but don't most people who don't go that kind of regular route often suffer as a result. Yes, absolutely. So it's, it's regrettable if you spend two years in some kind of training that doesn't lead to a job. It's even worse if you spend four years in some kind of training, <laughs> such as college, and don't have a job. There are tens of thousands of Americans who have college degrees and are paying them off the debt later, and they're working as janitors and waitresses and bartenders. Now, there's nothing wrong with those careers, but there is something wrong when you were tricked into taking on debt. Mm in order to get a degree that turns out to not guarantee you a job and really to have nothing to do with how you're spending your time and earning a living. That's a bigger scandal, I would suggest, than, than automotive school. But I would say the lesson to those is common, which is you should think very clearly about what kind of career you're interested in and suited for and make every investment decision 
whether it's two years of automotive school or four years of college, think very clearly about the costs and opportunities and alternatives before you make such a significant financial decision. I'd be very interested to hear if there's anybody here in our audience tonight who has some of those worries, that they're worried that maybe this wasn't a good decision in terms of where it's going to lead and beginning to think, like Jim O'Neill was saying, that this is maybe not the best investment. If anybody is feeling like that and doesn't mind admitting it in public, uh, then I would be very keen to hear from you. Why don't we take a question from the gentleman here, uh, if we can get a microphone to him. And if, well, in the meantime, if you stand up so that people know that you sure. need the microphone. Have we got a good microphone there? Why don't we just take this a concise question from you and we'll hear from others as well. well I would yeah. like to follow on to that because whether university education is a wise investment or not depends absolutely on who you are. Um, We've had several statistics Just a bit of economic to your, benefit. That's it. Yeah, okay. We've had several statistics of economic benefit to graduates, but they're all based on people who graduated quite a long time ago, when far no, fewer not. people went to university than do now. They're not. When they're I went not. to this university, which was a very long time ago, the government thought that it was such a good investment putting education into me that they paid for it. Yeah, and no which longer. It certainly doesn't happen now, and the fact that the government doesn't think it's such a good investment would suggest that for at least some of the people who are going to university today, it isn't. Is that an argument it's, for fewer people going to university? Yes. Yes. It's still um, about... Christina Patterson. It's still about... I think... I mean, the, there's so much different data and all this, but my understanding is that it's still... You still get an uplift of about 27.6% in your salary, and that's for now. That's not 10, 20 years ago. OK. Other I'd, people, I'd, be, other I'd be more p- impressed if any government minister actually stopped his children going to university. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, despite don't think in a way, Francis. They don't believe. Actually, I I was going to go to Francis, but I can see lots of hands. Let's try and get them in. Gentleman right at the very back, who's uh, standing room only there, Um, so he's already standing up, which is an advantage. Um, And then, and then we'll go to the uh, person there who's got a hand up. Um, I can only see the hand rather than the face. That's why I'm. Oh, two hands. Exactly. You're going to be next. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I just wanted to substantiate the point made by the gentleman over there in the checkered shirt to begin with. further substantiate on what he was saying about what university provides because yes the internet is an excellent tool where there's so much information out there that we can access largely for free but at the same time there's so much misinformation out there if you one just has to look at the pseudoscience on the internet and the science sounding jargon that people really do get sucked into and I think university provides that environment, not only to sort through that information for you and provide you with the, the, the right stuff, but to provide you with the skills, the critical thinking skills yes. that are integral in... Thank you. you. Fascinating. Pass the microphone to the chat be- behind you, and then it's going to be the lady here, and then we're going to come back to the panel. Yeah. My question is, was a point linked into the about whether the government should pay, and I don't think the government should pay, because I think we should accept that university education is a privilege and the government isn't just this pot of money that comes from heaven it's mm. taxpayers money and i do not think that people who do not have the privilege to go to university should pay for the privilege that other people have so isn't the risk of that though that only the privileged will end up going no yeah. because i think the way that the government system is designed at the moment where you can have a loan and then pay it back once you earn a certain amount is an extremely good one it's fair it encourages people to go if they would like to go but i don't see why people who don't want to or can't or don't choose not to go to university should pay for those who do. I think so you would have students paying the entire cost of their education through their taxes later on in life? Not necessarily the entire, but I don't think... I think the system as it is at the moment makes okay. sense. That's, okay. that's all I just... In response to the point made about... Thank you. Well, let's hear from the lady here. But, but we'll go for two hands again, because then we'll know where you are. That's it. Um, and then I'm going to try and squeeze one more in if I can. Um, yeah. Once you've got the microphone, pass along to you. Yeah. 
Sorry that I'm not able to get all of you in. There we go. Thank you. Hello. Um, I'm a mature student here, um, and I'm so mature that I still have two children at university, uh, one of whom could have gone straight to university and got on the lower fee scale, but didn't know what she wanted to do and took a gap year and then went knowing exactly what she wanted to do, even though this was going to incur much greater costs than her older brother's. Um, But my point is surely one of the wisest investments would be in making sure you're making the right decision about going to university in the first place. And and for the students, and this is back to what Mr Gilbert was saying about students not engaging, well, maybe they shouldn't be at university. So more help for sixth formers Mm. to choose to make the right choice and obviously then more availability of vocational courses and other things, might be a wiser investment. Are you, in a way, ending up in the same place as the gentleman here, thinking fewer people should go to university? Is that, in a way, where you're heading with that train of thought? Well, we get back round to the rather boring trope of Steve Jobs and Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg dropping out, but A, look where they dropped out of, but B, (laughs) who, who do they hire in their companies? Very interesting. Very quick, just mm-hmm. pass the microphone along to the woman who's waiting there. Jim, Jim O'Neill, super quick question to you. Question, I don't know if you heard the question there, but she was saying, OK, very good for Steve Jobs, Mark Zuckerberg, but who do they hire? Those big tech firms, do they end up hiring graduates even if the boss himself, or usually himself, dropped out? Uh, they, do, they have all sorts of different policies. Our view is that they should focus on the actual skills and knowledge that they need mm-hmm. for the job and not on extremely vague credentials, which okay. most college degrees are. All right, thank so you. So I think the... Yeah. No, thanks. That was so brilliantly brief. Let's hear from the woman here, and I'm very sorry to people who are, are not going to get a chance this time, although maybe we squeeze a minute more out. But go on. Okay, so there was a point raised that graduates are now ending up in jobs that they weren't expecting to get. But there's now a point that the employers are now wise to this and are now asking for more qualifications for jobs that didn't previously require them. If people don't go to university... How are they future-proofing themselves for when this occasion arises, where they go, I could have applied for this job, but now I need a degree or I need the A-levels. How are you supposed to know? Yes, or even a postgraduate qualification, because that's beginning to happen. Um, I'm going to get reactions to this, and then depending on how we're doing, I might try and squeeze in one or two more, but time is mm. slightly against us. Francis Gilbert, I think that's a very pointed question, given your argument. OK, it may look all right now, but how do they future-proof themselves? What if in five, ten years' time they suddenly find they have to be a graduate and they never made that move? Well, that's certainly true, isn't it? That's, that's happening. I, I mean, I would say that my real strong point is that um, we need to end the monopoly of universities on degrees. So, you know, I think that certain schools should be able to uh, offer degrees. Um, we need to actually open up the whole um, paywall that discu- uh, stops all that amazing research. It's just you have to pay, you know, £20 for a, a single article. Um, so universities have you know, had a stranglehold on knowledge at the moment and we need to break down those barriers. Um, and, you know, the taxpayers are investing a lot of money in them and they're just not delivering the goods. I don't think it's good enough what they're doing. And I think that's why it's an unwise investment at the moment and we need to be a lot tougher on the universities about what they're offering. Could I respond to Please. that? Please. Thank you. Uh, and, and it's also a response to people who've been arguing about our university giving people a way of thinking, which I, I agree, university does help give people a way of thinking, but you can't think in a vacuum. You can't think of nothing. You need something in order to be able to think. You need to think about something. And what people think about 
is knowledge. And you may disagree with the knowledge and you may critique the knowledge, but thinking must be based on something. It must be based on knowledge. And this is where traditional teaching methods come in and the lecture mm-hmm. format and the seminar format, I think, is something which should really be celebrated. I strongly agree with the chap who spoke at the back who said about there being so much information on yeah. the internet, but universities playing a really important role. Lecturers, their mm. intellectual capital in being able to sort and filter and offer to students the best that has been thought and said in a particular subject area. And, and knowledge is about more than just information. And it's for that reason that teachers are not toilet cleaners. It's for that reason that teachers, university teachers, go the extra mile in their teaching because it's the love of their subject. Some they do. Want I think it's fair to, to some do. Not, not, probably not all of them pass their test. Simon Golder, just on this thing. Breaking the boundaries. That's what I was going to say about breaking the boundaries of knowledge. There's also a question of authority and true knowledge. And I don't believe that anybody wants to go to a doctor who's been trained by somebody who's broken the boundaries and hasn't been trained in a proper way. (laughs) I don't believe you want to go over a bridge that is built by someone who thought they could build a bridge. (laughs) There is a question of what the authority of these places is for. The university has a role in that. And it's not to be dismissed easily. If you think it is, again, you go to the internet, you know what you will find on the internet. There's a lot of nonsense there. You can read, you can study on the internet, but you can study some very bad things. Jim Jim O'Neill, this surely is a challenge uh, to you, because it's saying that that it's all very well having one or two mavericks out of the box, outside the box, but Jim O'Neill, you need some people who are very much in the box. You know, if you're there in the operating theatre, you want to know the surgeon had the conventional medical education rather than dropping out, taking one of your funds and sort of having a bit of blue sky thinking in Palo Alto. (laughs) Well, on the specific matter of medical education, there's a lot of question of... um, whether it should really take 10 years to uh, be able to perform some relatively simple medical things. But on the much broader point of whether, whether, uh, whether universities Put teach us or inculcate a certain way of thinking, I would say it is a rather passive way of thinking and acting. It's similar to high school, and it's not all that relevant to being productive in the economy of the 21st century. I think that working in the kind of uh, companies that we're going to see coming up in the, in the rest of the century is, is the best preparation for surviving in the future. Most of the jobs that exist in the year 2050 will probably be created by companies that were created in the 21st century and not by the way people were thinking in ivory towers in the 1920s, which has not changed that much. You don't need a degree in order to create a business. You don't need a degree in order to create jobs. You don't need a degree in order to create the economy of the future. And uh, focusing on passive traditional credentials is not the way to survive in the rapidly changing technology and economy of the, of, and globalization of the future. Thank you. You've, did, you've, you've excellently cast our minds ahead to the future, into the year 2015. Here we are in a university uh, marking some 800 years uh, in the education Uh, I won't say business, but in the business of education with a small b, if you like. Um, Christina Patterson, what what about this, where uh, where it's all going? To what extent is there something very social about learning? And that actually just one person in front of a computer screen, even if it's absolutely state-of-the-art stuff that's coming there, does need to be in a fixed, concentrated geographical place with other like minds. How much is that part of the, almost the chemistry of education? I think it's absolutely vital. And I think the main reason to come to university, arguably is to find out how little you know. 
We know nothing. We know nothing. The older I get, the more I, I realise how little I know. We need to know how little we know. We function best in the world not when we are exuberant and bursting with confidence, but when we are aware that we have stuff to learn. And as someone who's worked on a daily paper for 10 years, we need deadlines. You know, you faced with the ocean of information out there. You need essay deadlines, you need seminar deadlines, you need structure, you need dialogue, you need conversation, you need that completely mysterious chemistry that comes from being with other people and exchanging ideas. Most of us do a lot of our best thinking aloud in conversation. And that's physical. But you couldn't have it online. Thinking. But you can get all of that on the internet. No, and you, you can't. Can, not, not, can, not to the same You can extent. get all of that on the internet um, in terms of the knowledge, that, and you can have quality people, in fact, far better quality people than you'd ever get at most universities uh, lecturing to you. And you can actually arrange within the internet social forums that are more productive than what is going on but in then, universities but then what you at the won't moment. Learn, Francis, I agree you can get some of that, but what you won't you can learn, get all you of won't it. learn the proper social skills because this it depends is not how you just... organise it. At the moment, there's a closed shop with the universities. They've got to say they've got a stranglehold on knowledge. We need to break that down. Schools could mm-hmm. deliver it. You know, um, the English teachers in my school could deliver an English degree far better than many of the universities that are in the but country then at those, the moment. But then those, your, those pupils wouldn't have the experience of meeting people from all around the country, mm-hmm. all kinds of different backgrounds, so I don't know how many different backgrounds there are in this room, but let's hope. And, you but know, what's you happening, the research is showing that people are actually just dropping out. They're not socialising very much. They're sitting passively and silently in seminars, not doing very but much, think, and actually not learning. Okay. Well, hold on. We're into our final two minutes talking of deadlines that Christina's told us to focus on. Universities of the future, what they're going to be like. Physical, bricks and mortar, all online. Um, we've heard two very conflicting views there. Uh, Russ, what do you think? How's the... You know, what are universities in 50 years' time going to look like, or 2050? We'll have lots of types of universities. We're going to have much more innovation than we've had previously. So there will be a number of options available that we only think about now, including a kind of a la carte education, where you pick up the particular courses you need, one from here, one from there. In the end, you have a credential or not, but it's uh, relevant to what you intend to do. So we'll see a much more digital form of higher education than we've seen Previously, particularly in the margins where people were able to. And will there still be buildings, bricks and mortar? Uh, for some people, yes. Okay. Good. <laughs> and for many people, not. And for many people, not. So, Joanna, uh, for, um, from you, Joanna Williams, a, a closing vision of what the 2050 university might look like? Well, I really hope that bricks and mortars universities are still here in the future because for me, education is about interaction. It's about a conversation, and it's a conversation between a lecturer and a student, but it's also a conversation, um, to quote, you know, standing on the shoulders of giants. It's a conversation with writers and thinkers who've gone long since dead, gone before we were, we were even born, and it's a conversation and a dialogue with thinkers of the past and that can only be mediated through university lecturers and the thing that university lecturers have gotten I'm sorry Francis the thing that university lecturers have got above school teachers a lot of the time is more knowledge increased knowledge so they are better able unbelievable to... provocation right at the end where he hasn't got time to reply um, Jim O'Neill very very brief 2050 do you think there should even, would you be unhappy if there were no bricks and mortar universities left in 2050 I think we should keep a few for historical and aesthetic purposes. But in 2050, I think that's more keeping people a university for study knowledge. purposes. I like that. Um, um, <laughs> I, I cut you off, but you mean just a few as sort of uh, as old sort of relics for amusement? We should keep them there, like a theme park. 
<laughs> I think that, yeah, yeah, I think that's really the wrong question. I think in 2050, more people will be learning more knowledge than ever before in more different ways, yeah. and few of those ways will resemble what we call universities today. Thank you. Final word from you, Simon Goldhill. I think there are two models here. One is the democratic model of public life, in which we can sit in a room together <coughs> and talk. The other is a fantasy of geek heaven with everybody in front of a computer screen. I know which side I'm on. <laughs> Thank you very much. I, I like this sort of little subliminal insults that flew just in the last few minutes <laughs> when people couldn't really have a chance to reply. I do now have the results uh, in on these votes. Now, as you remember, a meagre 9% of you here in the hall and online were in favour of the proposition that a university education is an unwise investment. I can tell you that the numbers have moved a little. Now, in f- then it was 9%. Now, after the debate, a staggering 14% believe that university education is an unwise investment. The figure against, there were, there was 72% against before. That has rocketed up to 85% <laughs> who now believe that university education is, in effect, a wise investment. And the don't knows proving just an hour in the company of great intellects can move your mind and change your opinion. The don't knows have gone from 19% down to 1%. There's still that one person uh, biting their nails, worrying that they made the wrong, mis- uh, wrong decision coming to university in the first place. Um, I want to thank all of you uh, for being here this evening. Remember, you can continue the debate online on the Google Plus uh, Versus page. For now, though, I want to thank all our speakers, uh, Jim O'Neill and Russ Whitehurst online, and here in the room, uh, Christina Patterson, Francis Gilbert, Joanna Williams, and Simon Goldhill. And to say that uh, a big thank you to you, our audiences here in Cambridge and online, and to thank Intelligence Squared and Google for making all of this possible. Don't forget to follow Versus on Google Plus. But for now, though, from me, Jonathan Friedland, Good night. Thank you for listening. You can download more Intelligent Square podcasts free on iTunes and SoundCloud. If you'd like to find out more about our events, sign up to our newsletter at intelligentsquared.com and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. <laughs>